Jesus begins to preach. <clears throat> Matthew 4, 12. When Jesus heard that John was put in prison, he withdrew into Galilee. So already John has been imprisoned. Why was John imprisoned? Do you remember? Yeah, he accused Herod, the Tetrarch Herod, of sinning by uh, marrying his brother's wife. And there was jealousy and I think probably embarrassment. And so they thought, let's shut him up. And off he went, he disappeared. So John got disappeared. He was incidentally at the fortress called, um, is it Machiris? It's across the Dead Sea. Um, so it's over on that, I'll call it the Moab side of the Dead Sea. It's about halfway down. So it's way up in the, it's, it, uh, the, the desert goes up in the air at that point. It rise, there's, a, there's, there's a rise and then there's a plateau up on top. In Old Testament times, that plateau was flanked by a number of small fortresses. In s between some of them, there was even a line of like little fragments of wall, almost like the wall of China, but and in miniature, because we're talking about, you know, hundreds of yards and not thousands of miles. So it was a very small thing. But a line of, of old fortresses where soldiers were lined up just to protect that, that, uh, that flank up there. But then um, Herod had a huge fortress built up there. And that's where John was imprisoned, was, was up in that fortress. I think we learned that detail in John's gospel. Um, but um, but that's, where, that's where John was taken. So Jesus leaves Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum. So he left Nazareth. What do those first three words at the beginning of 13 say to you? I mean, the temptation was down south. Right? The baptism was down near the Dead Sea. The temptation was down there. But now he leaves Nazareth. So probably, what would a good boy do before he goes off? Jeez, I think he says goodbye to mom. Yeah, I, I think he went and said goodbye to his mother. Um, and, 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 I mean, did he get a bunch of personal effects? Did he push on a wheelbarrow with all of his stuff and, you know, his his giant Winnie the Pooh doll and so forth and all of that. No, he, he sorry, I got off of the slide. He, but he, he just goes and says goodbye to mom and went to live in Capernaum, which is not very far away, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. He did this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And by the way, this here we have it. Um, Nazareth is a little bit north of the end of Zebulun. Okay, there are a couple of bumpy hills there. Do you see where I am? That's the area of where, this is an Old Testament map, but that, that, that's, that, that's the area. North of Shunem is, and Nazareth is there in the hills. And then way up uh, on, on the lake, you see where it says Chinnereth. Um, there you have the area where you've got Capernaum and Bethsaida. And actually, if for those who are married, if you take your left, and if you're not married, then pretend. But take your left, your, that is your ring hand, your left hand, and now look at it this way. Not, not this way or this way, but 
so the knuckles are still up, but your ring hand, and where would your wedding ring be? Or where is it? That's on, on, this is your map of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, is a shape of your hand. And, and then your veins are the Jordan River going down here. And your elbow is the top of the Dead Sea. So up here where your wedding ring is, that's the village of Bethsaida. And the middle finger would be where Capernaum is. And between them is where the little, the, the top, the northern end of the Jordan empties into the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so the Jordan empties into the Sea of Galilee and then runs out of the Sea of Galilee. Does that make sense? Okay. That little lake at the top of the map where the, where the, the, where the Jordan actually begins is Lake Hule. Have I talked to you about Lake Hule in this class? Lake Hule doesn't exist today. The modern states of Israel and or Jordan, and I'm not sure which one did it, they filled that in and made it into a golf course. And now the spring has trouble getting up and feeding the Jordan. Um, but the golf course is the greenest thing. Wow, is that beautiful. But on the other end of things, the bottom of the Dead Sea, which I don't have on the map, but the bottom of the Dead Sea now in, modern, in, in, in the present day is, is, is shrinking. The, the, the southern end of the Dead Sea that you know from your Bible maps hardly even exists any longer. So the Dead Sea has lost about a third of its size. And the, the Dead Sea used to look like a side view of a man shouting because there's a big uh, indentation there. It's really not that big. It's not a mountain or something. It's just a salt flat. But that's about where the, where the south end of the Dead Sea is now. So the man, it's as, as if the man's long jaw is gone. The man's shouting. So it's just the top half. What was the name of that little lake? Hule, H-U-L-E-H. H-U-L-E-H, Lake Hule. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if they call it Hule Golf Course or something like that, or if it's Thurston Howell III golf course or whatever it might happen to be. <clears throat> All right. But you can notice here, in, in reference to our text, that Galilee in general is bordered on one side by Naphtali, the north of the sea, and then Zebulun sort of down to the, to the, to the right, or to the left, rather, um, and Isaacar down below more. But Zebulun and Naphtali are the general area that borders, sort of borders the region of Galilee. Okay. And here's the passage. So uh, Christ fulfilling Isaiah 9 here. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and on those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What might Isaiah have been thinking of when he says those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death? What had happened to the northern kingdom in Isaiah's time? They had gone into exile. That's right. 
Um, the, the other prophets, after Isaiah's time, talk about those northern tribes. We, 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 we covered this a little bit when we were studying Chronicles a few weeks ago, that in Chronicles you have these references to God still loving the people of the north, still reaching out to the people of the north. Ephraim, Asher, those names keep coming back. And in the prophets, especially um, uh, Jeremiah, you have references to those northern tribes, even though most of them are just gone. But God's heart reaches out to them. He loves them and wants them back again. Um, and here, what does he do? He promises that the Savior will come from that region, from Galilee in the land of the Gentiles now. So a light has dawned. <clears throat> from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Remember that repentance re consists of two things. Contrition is sorrow over sin and faith in Christ. What happens if you don't have sorrow over sin? Is that a problem? Yeah, the sinner is content and doesn't want or think he needs forgiveness. And therefore, not forgiven. He's rejecting forgiveness. What if the person does have sorrow over their sin, terrified by the thought of hell, and has no faith in Christ? Despair. Yeah. The sinner never trusts in his Savior and is not forgiven. So true repentance is sorrow over sin and trust in Christ. You can never look at a room and say, these people need this or this. So you always need to offer both, right? You need to offer both. However, if someone comes to you privately and they're terrified because of their sins, what do they need? You're too late already almost. What do you need to offer? Jesus, let's get to the gospel. If you can't think of anything else, what's a good verse? John 3.16. Yeah. Um, and then go from there. Um, however, what if you're addressing somebody who doesn't think they need a savior, who doesn't care about their sin? Then the law. The law. There's plenty of law. By the way, the easiest place to find handy law to show a person their sinfulness is the Sermon on the Mount. Go to the Beatitudes and to that part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming to it next week. But because the Sermon on the Mount, on the one hand, is filled with gospel, but on the other hand, is also filled with law. So Jesus preaches both. Um, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, what does that tell you about those who are not peacemakers? They are not only not blessed, but condemned. Yeah. Okay. Question or just stretching? That's okay. It's, I'm not like an auctioneer. You know, 175! Just picking on people. I do it in class, though, if the kid stretches and the kids are kind of dead that day. Well, you raised your hand, Maggie. 
you know, sorry, you got to answer. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. He said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The pun is not there in Greek. Okay? We think that fishermen and fishers of men are like a pun. It's, it's not. Um, I'll make you fish catchers of human beings. Is, you know, that, that's, that, that's not how it works in, in, in Greek. So just, just to be clear, the pun isn't in Greek. It's only in English. Okay. Sometimes there is a pun or um, something onomatopoetic or a paranomasia or something in the, in the Greek text. And sometimes those things are lost in other languages. Um, the most famous one is the one Luther scratched his head about that we don't, which is the, the, the titles of the first humans, man and woman. In English, they sound kind of similar. But Herr und Frau... Luther didn't know what to do with that, you know. But in, in Hebrew, ish, the isha. So isha, out of man, is what it means. And woman kind of sounds like, you know, like it could be that too. So it kind of works in English, certainly works in Hebrew, but also in, in Greek, aner, kai, gine. That doesn't work either, but so... So sometimes it's the, the word play is there and sometimes it's not. Um, you get that when you have in the prophets something like, uh, uh, what, what do you see, Jeremiah? You know, oh, I seen a pot tilted out of the north. And God says, certainly you do because the disaster is coming. Or what do you see, Jeremiah? I see an almond tree. Well, sure, because I'm watching. What does that mean? Well, almond tree is shockade and watching is shokade in Hebrew. So sometimes we, I, I, I put a footnote into the EHV about that and, and, and the beginning of Jeremiah so you can catch that. But um, it's maybe my only contribution to the, to the study of scripture that'll, be, that'll last, I don't know. In, well, this is the EHV. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending the nets, and Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Another gospel tells us that there were servants there. Dad wasn't left you know, to, to pick up all by himself. He had servants working with him. But they, 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 they leave. What does the call of the fishermen have in common with our call into faith? It might be. But Paul also tells us, whatever you were before you were called... You can, you can stay doing that if you want to. But the, 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 the main thing is that the call that I want to point out is that the call comes from the outside. 
God is the one who calls. This isn't my idea or my decision. God is the one who calls me. Um, so Christ comes and calls them. They were already spiritual men. Um, we know that at least two of them had been disciples of, of, of John the Baptist. But what did they do when John went into prison? Let's go back and go back and go fishing. Let's go back to work. But now Jesus calls them again. So um, what does the call of the fishermen not have in common with our call into faith? Well, what was he calling the disciples to be? Fishers of men, which means they were going to be what? Missionaries, preachers, yeah, something like that. Are we all missionaries and preachers when we're called into faith? Not necessarily. Um, so this is a specific call. We, we do have a general call to share our faith, but not all Christians have the ability to share their faith. They don't. I think about the folks we have in Jesus Cares, and, and some of them don't have the ability to share their faith, although there are sometimes circumstances where there are amazing things hap that, that happen in a family where somebody has special needs. Um, but they're being called into specifically a public ministry. And our call to faith is not a call into the public ministry. It's a call into our own private faith. That's the main thing I'm, I was looking for here. It's just that. Did somebody else have a hand going up? No? Okay. Then, uh, our, I think it's our last section. Jesus heals the sick. He's preaching and healing, both in Galilee. Um, and uh, just a couple of verses here. So Jesus travels through Galilee. I think I might have missed a couple of verses in my slide. Um, we'll see. Jesus traveled through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. Let's work our way just backwards through that, through this really loaded verse. Is there anything Jesus encountered, disease, sickness, that he couldn't heal? No, it's specifically he heals every sickness and disease. That's one thing that is remarkable. No one can do that today. Um, he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. He teaches in the synagogues. He travels throughout Galilee. Well, let's go back to the beginning. First of all, the traveling, he went where the people were. When Jesus ascends into heaven and he gives the great commission, what's the first word? Well, after there, yeah, after therefore, go. So um, I think it's Mark Jeske, who maybe most famously has said, the great commission is not stay and wait for people to come and ask you questions in your office. It's go and make disciples of all nations. So where do we need to do our, our ministry and our outreach? Where the people are. Go to them. Go to those people. Is there anywhere in the world where you cannot go? Some islands off of India. Some islands off of India is what I was thinking of. Do you, anybody know about these places near the Andamans? The, the, the natives will, will kill you if you try to even land in a helicopter there. They, they've uh, even shipwrecked men. They have been murdered on the, on the shoreline and maybe worse. 
um, but you can't go there. Well, you can't go there. You know, but can we go everywhere else? Sure, sure. Have we had, have we had uh, a Wisconsin Synod devotion preached in Antarctica? By our own member, Professor Marty Sponholz. Yes, indeed. Do you know that there's a mountain named after him there? There is a Mount Sponholz in Antarctica. If you look up, if you look it up in Google Maps, I don't think that Google Maps knows about it yet. But it's in the white area. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus travels throughout Galilee. And throughout Galilee, here would mean city to city, town to town, village to village, even house to house. Travels throughout Galilee. And specifically, where does he go? He teaches in the synagogues. He explains the scriptures, does not withhold them from the people, but he opens up the scriptures. Um, I was reading um, uh, something by Professor Gerhardt uh, the other day. Professor Gerhardt lived in the 1600s, but he um, was really uh, frustrated by a theologian of a different faith named Bellarmine, who was an advocate of withholding the scriptures themselves from the people. The lay people should not read the Bible is what Bellarmine said. And his denomination still says that today. The people should not read the Bible. Um, and, uh, uh, but Jesus did not withhold the scriptures from the people. He reads the scriptures, preaches the scriptures, um, and teaches the scriptures. Um, what was the role of the scribes? to make copies and distribute the scriptures, finally. How long would it take you to, to make your own New Testament if you were writing it by hand? No, no, no. About a month. In a spiral notebook, about a month. Yeah, it wouldn't be fancy schmancy, but yeah, it'd take you about one month. You have to, in the beginning, the first couple of days, you have to be careful and relax your wrist because you'll start to get nasty cramps. But eventually, you'll suddenly notice that your right hand's a little bit bigger than your left. And, uh, and you continue to write, though. And some books of the Bible you do in a single sitting, and others would take you two, three days. But even taking a day off every once in a while and just doing it from time to time, about a month. New Testament, about a month. Old Testament, um, about six, seven times that, actually, because some parts of the Old Testament are just vast. Longest book in the Bible, word for word? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Longer even than Isaiah and Psalms, word for word. Jeremiah is a thick, dense, heavy book. Yeah. All right. So Jesus teaches in their synagogues. Um, synagogue is basically a Jewish church. It's where they would meet for regular worship in the towns. And then he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. So he opens up God's plan of salvation to people. How does Jesus most famously teach the kingdom? Parables. Parables. The kingdom of God is like. Yeah, this is what the kingdom is like. It's about a guy sowing seed. And what, what, the, what, the, what, the, what the soil is, is what the heart is that hears the gospel message. Or the kingdom of God is um, sometimes like other things. 
It can be like a, a woman who lost a coin. Or suppose you have a hundred sheep and one goes missing. What do you do? You go look for it. Or the kingdom of God is like a dad who has two sons and they want to divide the inheritance. And one of them goes and blows it all. Then he comes back. And before he can get all the way through his, refer, his rehearsed um, uh, apology, the father meets him, throws his arm around him, puts a ring in his finger, kills the fatted calf, puts a cloak on him, and says, My, what, the one who was lost has been found, and so forth. Um, and, and many, many, the, the kingdom of heaven is also like fishermen who have come in with a catch. And is this Matthew 13? We don't preach on this one very often. The fishermen divide the good fish from the bad. You know. Well, we, Jesus also uses the example of dividing what? The sheep from the goats um, and so forth. But also good fish from bad fish and, and many, many other parables. The parables are there so that you get the point quickly. But a person without faith won't get a parable. Won't understand it. It won't make sense. Um, and then finally, Jesus heals. Every disease, every sickness, he proves his authority and his power. And now I need a Bible because I don't have slides for the last two verses. So, But we have five minutes left. This might, this might also have been lost with my crash this morning. So we're in Matthew 420, what? 424? All right. All right. Boy, I was going to have a map too. Okay, anyway. News, news about him spread all over Syria. What direction is Syria from Galilee? West. North, northwest, yep. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So severe pain, we would associate with a couple of things, right? Most, anybody here have a... A, a, a knowledge of severe pain? Knees, hips. Especially, what are we talking about with those things? Failing joints, arthritis, osteoporosis, rheumatism, nerves. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, what, is it, what, is it, what is that called when you're neuropathy and so forth? Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't think of rheumatism without thinking of Granny Clampett. And her rheumatism medicine. Remember. The demon-possessed. Jesus healed many, many demon-possessed people. I, we, there is no possible way to count because so often he goes into a city and heals, quote, all of their demon-possessed. So how many were there? Lots and lots. Those having seizures. Um, who famously had seizures? The falling sickness, which is... Uh, um, no, not Luther, but I'm, I'm trying to think of the, of the, of the disease, of um, the falling sickness. Epilepsy, yeah. In, uh, in ancient times, the two big names in ancient times? 
Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar. Yeah. Um, uh, that also saved famously Marco Polo's life. Um, because the, the um, was it Kublai Khan's son had it. And the, the policy was if anybody sees that happen, he gets killed. And Marco Polo said, oh, Alexander the Great had this, and Julius Caesar had it, and Kublai Khan's jaw just, what? And Marco Polo, you know, 17 years old, that's a sign of greatness. <laughs> Saves his life. Yeah. Not epilepsy. He had, he had kidney stones and things that gave him terrible pain, but not epilepsy. Yeah. At least not that I've ever, has ever been reported or that I've ever read. I don't think so. Um, I had, to, I had to help a man with epilepsy when I was a McDonald's manager back in the early 80s. Um, he collapsed right on, the, right on the floor in the front of the counter ordering. Um, and I knew enough to hold him still, to talk quietly, to have someone call 911, and to not put my finger in his mouth. Well, there's a chance of him biting his own tongue, but I didn't want to have him bite my own fingers either. But... Um, also, the, the paramedic came and chewed out the kid who made the phone call because the kid from TV, what, what do you say when, when it's an emergency? The kid no, just didn't know anything about it. He, from, he didn't know how to say it's an emergency. And I said, why didn't you say it's an emergency? But the kid said, I should say code blue. But code blue doesn't mean emergency. Code, everybody know what code blue means? No, it means they're bleeding out. Code blue means there's blood, and there wasn't blood. So, so, so we got a lecture from the paramedics, but I thought, just take care of the guy. It's just TV, but anyway, okay. Anyway. But Jesus heals all of them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Uh, just, to, just to comment on what these places were. So uh, uh, Galilee, where they were, the Decapolis, to the, uh, on the other side of the, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee, the ten cities. That's what Decapolis means, the ten cities. Um, Magdala is one of those. Who do we know from Magdala? Mary Magdalene, yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, Jerusalem. And then Judea, the whole region down south. And then it says the region across the Jordan, which means that area where, for example, John the Baptist was imprisoned. So that place over there, formerly Moab and Ammon. Now, um, that area was actually called Perea in Jesus' time. And toward the end of his ministry, we'll see that Jesus goes there into Perea for about five, six months. We call it the Perean ministry, but it's part of the withdrawals that Jesus makes as he's on his way back to Jerusalem. I think the noon whistle sounded. So I think that brings us to the end of our time and of our chapter. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.